It's time for another episode of Tucson Means Business, featuring Tucson's top entrepreneurs and leaders in the business world. And now your host, Mark Bishop. And welcome, everybody, to another Tucson Means Business, proudly sponsored by the 49ers Golf and Country Club uh, on Tango Verde, east of Tucson. And a reminder, of course, uh, you know, people are playing golf. People drive by and they wonder why. The reality is uh, separate carts and, um, you know, you stick to rules that you're asked to do and you're out in the fresh air and so on. So, you know, you don't uh, touch flags or do this and that with, with bare hands. You might use a glove. Then secondly, the restaurant, the hidden jewel, which is normally packed and people love. But, of course, at the moment, it's sanitized every day and every night. But there's takeaway food. The hours aren't as long, but they're back in business. So, you know, Rincon Mountain Grill, uh, beautiful food. And that's, of course, at the 49ers Golf and Country Club, proud sponsor and have been for some time of Tucson Means Business, where we promote local businesses here in Tucson that go right across the world. We amplify their story. And I've got a very interesting guest today. You're going to enjoy this show. I mean, I've learned an awful lot from this fellow. His name is David Crookman. He's a PhD. He's director of the Walden Group, LLC. And, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to spoil the, uh, let the bird out of the cage here. We'll just get to it. So uh, for my podcast today, he was, this fellow was raised actually in a small village suburb of Toledo in Ohio. And he came to Arizona for college after working for a local police department. So I'd like to welcome David Walden, director of the Walden Group, LLC. Hi, David. Hi, Mark. Thanks for coming. Thanks for taking time out. I know you're a busy fella. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. You've had a fascinating career, having worked in forensics, investigations for over 38 years, handling felony cases to include over 100 first-degree murder cases. Can you share um, any outstanding cases that you may have worked on? You know, I've been pleased to to work for a num on a number of high-profile cases. Uh, people who've been in Tucson for some time will remember years ago the Buddhist temple murder case up in Phoenix where a group of young men from Tucson were accused based only on the statement of a person who was a mental patient mm -hmm. uh, at the time and uh, no other evidence. They were taken to Phoenix, interrogated improperly, I might add, to the point where they made false confessions. Uh, we worked on their defense, were able to find information that exonerated them. The sheriff's department in Maricopa County continued the investigation, uh, spending millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Eventually, they were all completely exonerated. The guilty parties who had no connection to them were found and prosecuted. Well, thank God for that. But in the interim, uh, millions of dollars of taxpayers' money wasted. Absolutely. More recently, we were involved in the forensics of a case here in Tucson involving the police restraint of a young man. It was a fatal incident. Uh, we were able to provide the forensics, and the city has now settled that case, and uh, several police officers who were involved resigned. We're going to, um, as we go on in the show, we're going to go in depth with a few things. But before I forget, I'd like to say hi to uh, your lovely wife, Wen Frochtman. Hello, uh, Wen. And uh, listening today, and uh, you've got two sons, Tyler and Matt, right? Yes. How old are those boys? Tyler's 17, Matt's 13. Uh, let me ask you this. Would you want them to follow your career? You know, I don't know. It's a it's a difficult up and down type of business from time to time. It's uh, it's not an easy road. It's not an easy path to get into this kind of field. Uh, 
I'd want them to follow their passions. I don't know if I'd push them for this. <laughs> Interesting. Well, uh, a polygraph examiner you've been for 35 years. Uh, you've tested uh, as an expert in polygraph, DNA evidence, and forensic photography. Uh, let's talk about uh, some of that, David. Just, just how exact and true is polygraph testing? You know, the modern specific polygraph examination properly conducted and properly scored, is about 92% accurate. And I'm taking this figure from a number of the latest research that's been done in controlled experiments. But polygraph is a tool. It is not an end-all, and critics are quick to point out that it's not 100%. What is 100%? Mm -hmm. Very few things that we, that we deal with or, or look to are 100% accurate all the time. Uh, polygraph is an important tool and often used to examine issues where there are no other available investigative techniques. Whether something has or has not occurred in the past is something that can be examined by a polygraph, uh, and it would be very difficult when there's no crime scene. It's not a matter of, mm. of maybe a, a criminal activity, but... You know, it, it may be verification of someone's words, an incident that may have happened or may not have happened, or proving the veracity of a witness's statement. Hmm. Now, you know, you, when you watch TV shows and so on and uh, movies, they always tend to start at the beginning of the questioning with uh, asking their name or what street they're in or what building they're in. Is that sort of, is that sort of like the setter-upper on the machine, is it, to see if it's working on a true statement. Well, in almost all polygraph examinations, the, the first question is usually a rather irrelevant question, and that's because people tend to react a little bit to the first audio stimulus in the examination. This is a very controlled psychophysiological experiment that's conducted with a polygraph test. How, how does it, I mean, you strap these things on the arms and so on. How does it work? What does it read? There's a part of our nervous system that we can control. And there's a part of our nervous system that we don't have control over. People like to think that they're in control of themselves. And to a good degree, part of them, they're not in control of. You go out on a hot summer day here in Arizona, and you're going to perspire. And there's not a blessed thing that you can do about it because you don't control that part of your nervous system. And just like sweating is a nervous system reaction to the heat of the day, there's a particular reaction that happens when people lie. People are rather consistent in this. And from time to time in our dealings with people, we'll encounter somebody who's trying to sell us something or trying to convince us of something. Mm -hmm. And we get that feeling that they're lying. Mm -hmm. And what's actually happening is we're seeing minute changes in that individual's nervous system that's below our threshold of conscious perception. The brain is seeing it and interpreting it, and it comes upon us as a feeling that I don't trust that person's word. These are psychophysiological reactions that are happening. And what mm. a polygraph really does is read that those aspects of the autonomic nervous system, that part of our nervous system that we can't control, right. and graphs it so that it can be analyzed. Amazing. Now, the other side of it, of course, is, or is it just movies? But I can beat the polygraph. You'd never know I can be Steely Dan and, you know, you'd never know that I was lying to you. Is that crap or is that real? Well, it would be very, very difficult to control the psychophysiological aspects of a polygraph examination. Okay. And even with extensive training, uh, the exam is designed to ferret out people who are attempting to manipulate the exam. Uh, 
it would be a very difficult prospect to do. <laughs> okay, so Eddie Bond can do that. All right. Now, DNA evidence and forensic photography. Tell us about some of the behind-the-scenes discipline that goes on, David. Well, let's start with DNA evidence. Okay. I've been called on a number of DNA cases because prosecutors are using DNA evidence more than ever right now. And DNA evidence comes in different levels of quality and different levels of specificity. DNA that's derived from blood, semen at a crime scene is certainly very, very incriminating. Far less incriminating is DNA that's referred to as touch DNA. Mm -hmm. And this is DNA that's left on, left just by touching a surface, left on the skin cells of the fingers or the body. Mm -hmm. And the reason that this has very little evidentiary value is our DNA touch DNA is easily transferred. If I shake hands with you mm -hmm. and you shake hands with somebody else, my DNA is now leaving on a third person and I don't know whether they're going to a crime scene or not. Right. So the presence of someone's DNA, if we're talking about touch DNA, is not evidence of their presence at a crime or at the scene. Okay. It's important to understand the context of this type of evidence. So well, what, what about hair follicles and so on? Uh, what, what strength are they? Are they good or just, you know? Well, hair is unlikely to have nuclear DNA. Uh, hair is going to have mitochondrial DNA, so it's going to have DNA from the mother's lineage, but it's not going to be absolutely unique DNA like nuclear DNA unless the hair root is pulled out. So hair that falls naturally mm -hmm. is unlikely to be matched for DNA, even though you see things like that on television. Sure. That's them extending the science beyond reality. All right. So bottom line, what's the base DNA? The base DNA would be nuclear DNA. This would be the DNA that's unique to every individual. Okay. So and that would not be not necessarily be present in the hair. And even though it may be present in skin cells for touch DNA, mm -hmm. our touch DNA, again, is easily transferred. We don't know. You know, your touch DNA may be a lot of places right now. If it's in the wrong place, you could be accused of a crime. Well, that's it. That's, that's sort of what's worrying me a little bit because, uh, gee, you know, you're miles away and yet you, you could be accused. In photography and forensic photography specifically, there are advances now that allow us to document injuries in ways that we couldn't previously. Uh, forensic photography sometimes involves photography for personal injury cases to document individuals' injuries and damages. And through forensic techniques such as reflective ultraviolet photography, we're able to photograph bruise injuries and soft tissue injuries that may have healed up to six months ago. So we're able to go back in time and see pattern injuries that may not have been documented at the original time of the injury. Hmm. Fascinating, folks, isn't it? I mean, you went into teaching, actually, uh, after years of investigations and, in fact, worked as uh, chair of a criminal justice program. What did that involve? Well, it involved setting up a, a criminal justice curriculum leading to an associate's and bachelor's degree in criminal justice. And we set up a program that was very, very hands-on. So the people coming through did skill building that's gonna be important to the next generation of criminal justice professionals. The type of uh, scenario-based skill building and evidence collection that's gonna make them effective it, with the techniques and, and the expectations mm -hmm. of the 21st century. You learned all this hands-on 
early days in your career, right? I did. I, I went to school for this as well, but uh, a lot of it comes from learning and, and being out in the field. So when you left teaching full-time, you moved back into the private sector, uh, offering a unique combination of professional services. So, uh, and if you just joined, by the way, uh, it's Tucson Means Business on Tucson Business Radio X with Mark Bishop. And my special guest is David Frookman. He's director of the Walden Group of Companies here in Tucson. And if you're wondering, well, is this guy really qualified? Well, this is what he's attained, all right? Bachelor's in Psychology, University of Arizona. He's a Master of Science in Criminal Justice at the University of Alabama. A master's in Forensic Science at the National University and Master of Science in Psychology at Walden University and PhD in Psychology at Walden University. That's not your own, is it? You didn't build that thing. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he still teaches. He teaches Forensics, Criminal Justice and Psychology at Colorado State Uni, American Intercontinental University and Southern New Hampshire University and South University. You're in demand, aren't you? Well, it's a busy time right now. There's a lot of people looking for uh, professional careers, and they're young people who are willing to dedicate themselves to uh, Mm -hmm. public safety, and and, uh, I think they need all the support they can get. The Walden Group itself now uh, is a multidisciplinary group of professional investigators uh, and forensic specialists offering a unique variety of services here in Tucson. Now, what type of services do you actually offer? Well, we perform investigative and forensic services for individuals, businesses, attorneys, government agencies. Our investigative services may include, but certainly aren't limited to background investigations, criminal defense investigations, fraud and theft cases, investigation of sex crimes and violent crimes, uh, civil matters, uh, Regulatory matters, uh, employment discrimination, sexual harassment, truth. personal injury, professional malpractice. It runs quite a large Doesn't gamut. Doesn't it ever? Oh, gamut. Let's, let's just look at a couple of before and quick examples on them, David, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. We talk about individuals. Okay, investigative and forensic services. Individuals, you, I, Johnny Smith down the street, Mary uh, up the road. Okay, she'd come to the business or the company and want what and why? Well, any number of reasons that people might hire a private investigator. Uh, They might need additional information or they may want to know an individual's background that they intend to engage in a personal or business relationship with. Mm -hmm. They may find themselves accused of a crime, a a civil wrong of some sort, a regulatory violation, Mm -hmm. and they may need evidence collected to for their defense. They may have suffered a, a well, what loss do people do? Do they know about this? What do people do if they didn't know about you? You know, a lot of people will call law enforcement, and if law enforcement isn't adequately following up on their matter, then they'll call a private investigator. Ah, okay. So that's what it goes. What about attorneys? Is that sort of like finding out stuff for them, for someone they're defending? Well, in criminal defense cases, absolutely. Where the police are the investigators for the prosecution, the defense has in private investigators that, that collect evidence and interview witnesses for the defense. Mm-hmm. How does forensic services come into play for individuals, though? You know, forensic services were really limited to people in public safety in the police department. And now people have seen the value of forensic science in proving things and in resolving situations, and we give individuals an opportunity to use forensic services for their own purposes. Hmm, that's amazing. 
Now, um, we talk about background investigations, criminal defense investigations, fraud and theft investigations. Isn't this all, or aren't they police matters? Uh, To a good extent, they are. But police departments right now simply aren't able to give individuals the private attention that they may need in their particular matter. Uh, They're spread very, very thin. And uh, in a lot of cases, there's a lack of follow-up. Yeah, well, okay, so you're really filling a, a gap, aren't you? Absolutely. And in civil matters, the police aren't going to get involved in employment discrimination or sexual harassment right, matters. Right. The police aren't going to get involved yeah, in They've got situation. enough on their plate without that, right? I Absolutely. Know it shouldn't be looked at secondary, but they've got enough to do. Um, have you personally worked on any of those? I mean, aren't they difficult? Aren't they sort of, you've got to tread very warily, the sexual harassment ones and the, you know, employment discrimination? Absolutely. You know, uh, a lot of times a company or a business will want to hire an outside investigator to review a case and to do the investigation so that there's no allegations of internal bias against an employee or Mm -hmm. uh, a claimant in a sexual harassment case so that the investigator isn't looking as being overly concerned with limiting the liability of the employer rather than getting to the facts. Well, it makes sense. It absolutely, and you know, folks, if that's not enough that you do, you also collect process, you collect and process and analyze evidence, right? Now, this is done for whom? Well, we have businesses where a theft has occurred and they may want the fingerprints processed. They may want fingerprints collected. People may want DNA analyzed or collected. Somebody may want a paternity test done uh, without having to go through a formal blood collection, we would be able to do that. Uh, we would be able to All right, let, just let me hold you there on that one. The first thing that came to my mind then was proof of, um, uh, not ownership, but proof of being a father, proof of being a mother. I mean, do they come into play? I mean, they absolutely could. Yeah. Do they you get many of those? I mean, It happens from time to time. Time to time, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Anything else? We have have had people who have submitted for drug analysis. Uh, I had somebody recently submit a hair sample of an individual for drug analysis, and we'll be able to tell them what's going on. Okay. So in a case like that with employment, they're in their right to deny, aren't they? If it comes out positive that there is drug involvement of the potential employee, the person can honestly say, well, we'd prefer not to hire you and not be in trouble for it. Uh, I would tell them to contact their employment attorney for legal advice. That's that's okay. one of the one of the few things you see left off this sheet. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you perform forensic consultation to include uh, polygraph services, latent fingerprint processing. Now, what is latent fingerprint processing? Latent fingerprints means developing fingerprints on a on a surface so they can be seen, lifted, and compared. Hmm. There's an appropriate siren going for us right there. <laughs> um, now, DNA collection and processing. How does does your lab have all of that? You can actually process DNA. We send DNA processing out. We do okay. the preparation of the samples for the laboratory. Uh, but that ha- that's a, a kind of a specialty area. What about, um, I was going to ask you about, how, how does trace evidence work in analysis? Has that got to do with firearms mainly? or It can have to do with firearms. It can have to do with uh, soils. It can have to do with uh, uh, 
transfer and, and impression evidence for tool marks, uh, paint transfer. There's any number of different types of trace evidence they could associate an instrument with a location or mm -hmm. a victim with a with a scene. Okay. Now, I did touch on weapons. You see it in the movies again. I, I, it's the only thing I can make reference to, but... This soaring business of soaring off uh, serial numbers and so on, if that happens, is it hopeless now to identify where the weapon came from, or is there still a way of doing that? No, it's actually relatively easy. We can restore serial numbers using either acid or high-powered magnetics right in our lab. Hmm. Well, there you go. So that's... Uh, that's a fallacy now, isn't it, this business in of, of uh, getting rid of it? It is. Okay. Uh, by the way, I'm speaking with David Fruchtman, who is the uh, director of the Walden Group LLC here in Tucson. Private individuals, uh, surveillance equipment now. Now, surveillance equipment. There's legal, illegal, states, some yes, some no, something. Uh, where are we at in Arizona? What can I do as an individual? What, what am I allowed to do? Well, we follow the 1969 Omnibus Crime Control and Safe Streets Act in Arizona. So this is a one-party consent state. So you are free to record any conversation that you are a part of or one party consents to. You can't record individuals who don't know they're being recorded. One person has to be aware of the recording. Hmm. So I can't record phone calls for evidence if I needed it for a court case later or something like that, unless I ask permission to record. No, you could record the phone call as long as you are a participant to the phone call. But what about the person I'm speaking with that doesn't know they're being recorded? That would be something he doesn't legally have to be told. Hmm, and I couldn't get into trouble for it. No, and it could be used as evidence. Okay, that's that one. That's That, that could be, you know, rather important. What about other sorts of, you see different things online and so on, but uh, apparently you're, uh, you have a good retail set up with uh, the other side of the business, because we did talk about multidisciplinary early. Uh, what else do you have in the, that, that is wanted by the public? You know, people come in for small covert cameras. Somebody may be trespassing. There may be thefts or intrusion into somebody's private residence or business. They may come in with a camera to find out who's involved with something like that. Sometimes you want very obvious cameras. Other times you want cameras that are covert. People may use covert recording equipment, uh, things like this, for if they're being sexually harassed on a job in order to pick mm -hmm. up the evidence of that so that a case can go forward. There are times when people want to do some of their investigation themselves, and they need the equipment to do that. With. And they're allowed to do that? They are indeed. All right, because to me, this seems like a bit of an open field, and uh, I'd be concerned. Now, you see, you know, and you read about stories where perverts got hold of these cameras, uh, put them into bathrooms, put them into motel rooms, put them into hotel rooms, whatever. Uh, what's Arizona? Where's Arizona's stance on this? Well, that would be a, a serious crime. I mean, it'd be both a, a federal and a state crime. Really? To, to invade someone's privacy like this. And, you know, this would be in violation of the statute we were just talking about. Okay. Um, and we do sell instruments that can turn up cameras instruments that can find hidden cameras and can notify people of transmitters or can nullify GPS devices that may be placed on someone's car. 
Hmm. So I, I could come down, buy this particular equipment, go to a hotel, go to a motel, go anywhere I wanted to, um, maybe a conference room, something important, legal, and I could, what, sweep that particular room and find out where the hack could it find out if cameras are looking at me, though? Cameras are using CCD chip technology now, and they have a reflection to infrared light. So a, a camera detector can see that reflection in the chip. How about that? And uh, recording equipment and so on? Uh, it's got to be transmitted out. There is recording equipment that's going to go directly to digital devices that would be very difficult to find. Hmm. Uh, is there much going on today? Well, the prices have come down on these kind of things, and it's within the reach of a lot of people that, that this – and it's accessible to a lot of people that it wouldn't have normally been. So privacy is uh, limited today perhaps more than ever before. Probably the one that comes to mind for me is is my missus playing up, um, my good old chasing kisses I love to death, but I've just got this feeling she's having an affair. What would I do? And let's say it's Vicky Verka. Let's say she's got it on me. What would we be able to get, per se, in a full gamut of products from you that I would want to get to, to make my case? Uh, you may want to put a covert camera at the house. You may want a camera that looks like uh, an alarm clock. You may want a camera that's easily hidden that could record something like this happening. You may want to ask... Uh, you may want to collect a, a garment and have it analyzed for DNA evidence that isn't your DNA. You may want to ask your spouse if they'd come in for a polygraph test. People, <laughs> people do. They do? Absolutely. By God, you don't want to be strong on that one. Then we'd have to be. Okay, so um, that's cameras. What else? What about car following or um, tracing where you're parked or where your car is now? There are GPS devices available that can provide you with the location of a, of a vehicle. Uh, they're available for both lease and purchase. Well, and then now this is what, this is the spy shop? What's this called, this, this division? Well, it's Tucson Spy Shop is part of the Walden Group. Okay, Tucson Spy Shop. Mm -hmm. All righty. <laughs> Where is this? Where is this? They tell me. I can hear people say. It all seems rather fascinating, David. I mean, do you ever get bored? You know, it's one of these type of careers where every day is different. I, I get to meet people from a wide variety of, of walks of life and perspective, and I, I really enjoy that. Um, people come in with unique problems, and, and we do our best to see if we can't provide information to assist them in solving those problems. Do you ever get into trouble? I mean, you're sort of you're, you're providing a service, and it's for an ethical cause, and you know, all other than the other side of the business, when it comes to this particular stuff, do people get upset? Do they want to hurt you? Do they blame you for anything? Do, I mean, do you have much of that in, in, in the business? Well, it, it certainly happened before. I mean, people will put the blame on the person who's uncovered their misdeeds rather than taking responsibility for their own misdeeds. But uh, that hasn't that hasn't been a significant problem. Uh, I'm I'm pretty careful about separating my business and my personal life. Tell me about um, what what are the most wanted scenarios? I mean, like an example of uh, is it is it uh, affairs uh, for divorcing? You know, there's, there's a lot of divorce. 
in America, right? Fifty-two percent or something of all divorces, right? Absolutely. What What's the biggest thing? I'm trying to find out. Is it playing up on somebody? Is it lying? Uh, what's the What's the most prolific thing that comes forward to you when people come in with this? Well, I mean, people come in with both personal situations as well as people come in who have been accused of something. Uh, and it may be a personal matter. It may be a criminal matter. It may be a civil issue. But uh, people do have issues in their personal life. They want to use an investigator to solve those. Perhaps they need to know what's going on uh, with their significant other, and they don't want to be the last person to know. And that's certainly very reasonable. Oh, fair enough. Wow. I hope you're enjoying this show in Tucson Means Business, this podcast. It's with David Fruckman, director of the Walden Group, LLC, here in Tucson, proudly sponsored by the 49ers Golf and Country Club. And here's a short message from them. You're listening to Tucson Means Business on Tucson Business Radio X right here, coming out of the Stuart Title building on Broadway. And of course, we're proudly sponsored by the 49ers Golf and Country Club, a wonderful course and wonderful club here in Tucson. I have the Director of Memberships and Tournaments, Casey Polivjack. Casey, tournaments are a big thing for a golf club. Uh, absolutely. Um, we are a semi-private club, which means we have membership available but we also are open to the public um, with being open to the public we welcome um, nonprofit uh, tournaments uh, fundraisers um, we specialize in groups from four to 144 see this is an important thing isn't it, in the community uh, companies would love to do something for their staff something that's different but they don't want the course to be too hard and they want it to be friendly they want the service to be right and the atmosphere to make it a really fun day. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's what you strive to do, isn't it? It's part of your uh, whole job, really. I think that's what we uh, we specialize in is the, how am I going to say this? The, the, the tournament that's not looking at spending too much money because they're in it to make money for their for their charity right so we offer really good uh, facilities uh, a great golf course um but i'm going to be honest it's not the best golf course in tucson it's not the nicest facilities but everything is good out there and your guests are going to have a good experience because of the value that they're getting for uh, the cost of the tournament. There you go. That's an important factor. It's all very well, you know, wanting to have a great day out for everybody, but if it breaks the bank, then it defeats the whole purpose. Absolutely. And if you're trying to raise funds, which is an integral part, because Tucson seems to be a wonderful place for raising funds, there's so many people who support so many wonderful causes. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of, uh, you know, great causes out there. And, you know, people get, they kind of come to a, a fork in the road. And, um, you know, you got school sponsorships that, uh, you know, booster clubs. Um, there's so many uh, fundraising uh, facility or uh, possibilities out there that uh, we really have specialized in golf tournaments for people and helping them maximize the amount of money they can make. Mm -hmm. um, I've put together a, a brochure to help people that have never uh, run a golf tournament that will kind of take them from step one until the, you know, the day of the event. That's so. very, very good. If people uh, from somewhere now, maybe they're moving into Tucson with a new business, new company, whatever, how can they get hold of you directly? Uh, you know, they can call me directly at 520-749-4925, uh, extensions 212, but we recommend you go to the, the website. Uh, it's a great way to, uh, you know, get information about the club on uh, not only golf tournaments, but membership. That website is... 
49ercc.com, F-O-R-T-Y-N-I-N-E-R-C-C.com. There you go. Casey Bolivchak, he's the director of memberships and tournaments. He's the fellow to speak to. Now back to the show. And we're back. Is the private investigation field like what we see portrayed on television? Oh, my, no. Uh, I'm amused by what I see on television. <laughs> but uh, to a good degree, you know, you see the, you know, my my day would be like a normal business person's day, uh, and it wouldn't usually include a high-speed car chase and a shootout, <laughs> uh, like is portrayed on, on every TV show. Uh, mm. You see that TV private investigators commit numerous felonies in the course of their investigation, mm-hmm. and then... You know, there are times when people come in having unrealistic expectations where they think that perhaps we can just uh, break into someone's home and rifle through their things to find out what's going on. Right. That's certainly not going to happen. No, no. How are our laws for Arizona overall? As far as our criminal laws? Yeah, anything and everything that we've touched on. You know, our criminal laws in Arizona are are stricter in punishment than many of our states Uh, are Title 13 state criminal rules are are pretty straightforward and uh, are very understandable, but Arizona takes a a very conservative stance on crime. Hmm. When you see uh, them operating the polygraph on television, is it accurately portrayed? Oh, it drives me crazy. That too, huh? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you see them operate what they in air quotes, call a polygraph on uh, the dating shows or on daytime television. And uh, I see them working. I I see people who are actors who are playing these roles and hyping up the drama, doing things that would be irresponsible, uh, using equipment that we haven't used in 25 years. And uh, it's a lot of showmanship. And then when people want to use this for their their personal use, I have to explain that, you know, you, you can't go through a laundry list of issues on right. an exam and, and it doesn't, there's not just a green and red light. And you how, know. how long does a normal test take? About an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so a person's put in the chair and from what I see, there are certain things, your arms are strapped or things are strapped onto your arms. And then there's also uh, like those uh, in a hospital, you know, those little things that you put on you, on your, either on your hands or your arms or you have. What are they? What, what's what's the procedure? Well, there are two tubes that are attached to the chest and the abdomen that measure breathing. There are electrodes that are connected to the fingers. And there's the little clip that's on the middle finger that's kind of like the doctor uses to take your pulse when you go in for a checkup. Additionally, there's a blood pressure cuff that's put on the arm, and that's pumped up partially during the examination. Now, all the questions are reviewed ahead of time. There's no trick questions. There's Mm -hmm. no surprise questions. Mm -hmm. It's not an interrogation. It's an examination. It's a very controlled examination to determine the truth. Let's talk about private investigators. Uh, They're around. They're here in Tucson. They're in every city, aren't they, across America? Absolutely. Is the business booming these days or are they struggling? I think the business continues to increase uh, as more and more demands are put on public services. We see increased demands in the private sector. I used to love some of the TV shows in the 70s and 60s and 80s of private investigators. Not quite like that in real life, I can imagine. What's the majority of their work? Sitting in cars? Snooping? Or what? Depending on the specialty and depending on the practice, there are practices that do an awful lot of 
matters such as workman's compensation claims that would okay. be heavily involving watching individuals who have claims and surveillances. Um, this is like the guy who's pretending he can't walk or in an accident at work. Precisely. And there he is bowling with his mates or doing something else. Okay, it, and that'll yes. be interesting. Uh, so, so why do people hire a private investigator? Well, again, they may be in a situation where they have inf where they have a problem, and information can assist them in resolving that problem. Information is power in our in our society, and right. that's long been known by people who have been very, very successful, very, very successful power brokers. People know that information is power, and most of that has been restricted. And this allows people who are average people to leverage that power that power that knowledge gives, that power that knowing someone's background before you get involved with mm -hmm, them, mm -hmm. uh, being able to provide for your defense when accused. Now, um, all sorts of cases, they vary. Maybe a child runs away from home. Uh, that would be a case for a private investigator? A private investigator could assist. Because the police can't do everything, can they? You know, they're sometimes held back by policies and procedures that they have to follow. And, and there are times when we can assist them in doing the things that they can't do. Hmm. Give me some other cases that they'd be involved. Because it sounds like a fascinating, you know, career to be in. Uh, people call up for, uh, we do a tremendous amount, again, in forensics, we do a tremendous amount of autopsies. Uh, there are times when people call up for that type of a service. Seriously, I thought the, the coroner did all of that. Well, the coroner will do autopsies on cases that are legally mandated to be autopsied, such as people who die in cust police custody, but they are also going to be selecting those cases where they suspect that there's some criminal element. Well, what about uh, car crashes? Uh, they may or may not decide to do an autopsy. Usually they will in an auto in, in a car crash case, mm -hmm. especially if there's a, uh, any indication that there may have been some impairment. See, this is a world a lot of people don't know anything about. I included. I mean, one tends to think you, you know, if you died of a heart attack at hospital, they've got to prove that this was the case. So there you've got to, you know, go through an autopsy. Um, you were in a fight and someone put a gun on you and they shot you. Uh, you've got to go through an autopsy to prove indeed that it was the bullets that killed you or whatever it is. Usually it's the heart stops, right? Right. Because of the pain or because of the shock, I guess. Well, and all of them, the heart stops. All of them. Right. Okay. Um, so I'm trying to get, you know, to understand when and when is not an autopsy. Well, a victim who's been shot is go probably going to go through an autopsy. But an individual who dies of a heart attack at the hospital, it's unlikely that they're going to have an autopsy. What now, about uh, a death through COVID? Potentially not. Okay. Uh, you know, there's no law that mandates that unattended, that all unattended deaths are autopsied in Arizona. Wow. The medical examiner determines which cases they're going to they're going to take and which cases they're going to pass on. But a family may still want autopsy services done. Would a private investigator who's been hired to follow a husband or a wife because of fear of uh, uh, playing up or whatever do when they take photographs? Right, they're allowed to do that? Absolutely. Okay, and they can present that evidence right in a folder to the person that hired them? Yes. There's no law to stop them doing that or anything else? It's no too bad if they're caught or, or anything? What sort of money do they get paid an hour these days then to sit around all night in the cold and maybe sneak up to a house on a window and take those photographs? 
Oh, private investigation services start at uh, perhaps $90 an hour and up, depending on the services that are being provided. Okay, so they vary, you know, the hardship of, of the job, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, fair enough, too. And when you're out in public, you're likely to be watched. You're likely to be photographed. Uh, you know, you you sacrifice a bit of your privacy when you walk out in public. Hmm. It's getting more, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, in England right now, David, there's virtually a camera on every corner. And a lot of that was to stop um, fights, um, late hours, murders, and so on. Then terrorism came into it. I, I, I'm a great believer of it. If you've got nothing to hide, what? who cares? Exactly. Look all you want. You know, just don't come into my home. Exactly. You know, that's the thing there. Why would someone need a private autopsy when the county medical examiners uh, well you've really you've really explained that i mean it's it comes down to just depending on the death well they may want they may want to find the cause for their personal closure they may want to identify if there was malpractice if there was negligence at the care home that this individual was at okay they may want to establish if there's some kind of a genetic information that their physician needs to know about and be careful to watch hmm. there's any number of reasons that somebody may come to us for autopsy services when we say for someone to come to you we're talking about mr and mrs public right and my mom has died. I've, I'm, I'm not happy. She was in this particular home. Um, I'm a little concerned, and I want to pay you to do an autopsy to make sure that uh, it was all kosher how she went. Well, we could certainly see what the proximate cause of death was. We would mm -hmm. look to see if there was any indications of mistreatment, malnourishment. And all this can be seen. All this can be seen. Right? Absolutely. Amazing. And, and this is the type of evidence that one would need to collect if they were looking at some kind of a malpractice or personal right. injury case. Right. Fabulous. So tell us, David, um, right now in your business, who's using the polygraph services and why? Well, we have police departments that are hiring right now, and they're required to conduct a pre-employment polygraph examination on their applicants. Okay. We have people who come in with private issues, personal matters, that they want to show that they're telling the truth on. Um, and we have people who've come in for criminal defense who may find themselves accused mm. or may believe that an investigation is in is ensuing where they will be accused of a crime and they mm -hmm. may want to come in and and uh, have an examination done so who, who manufactures these machines are they german or overseas or american made or what they are to a great degree they're american made as really? far as i know mm. uh, the instruments that we use are made in indiana and there are several other american manufacturers does it? Do you need a license or some sort of qualification? I mean, could I just open up and put a shingle out and start doing polygraphs? Or? You know, years ago, the licensing was very similar for polygraph examiners as it was for private investigators, and with a with a rather strict policies and and regulations. And the law on that has expired. <laughs> so literally now, as unfortunate as it is. Somebody could set up shop without qualifications and without the proper training, without graduating from an American Polygraph Association approved school and uh, open up as some kind of a charlatan. Yeah, well, there's enough of those around without doing that. How much information can someone find? In fact, I wanted to ask you, how do you find people? How do you locate people? You know, we start with databases, databases that are proprietary, that are restricted from the general public's use and are screened for use by 
licensed investigation agencies. A lot of people will attempt to find people on social media or they'll use some of these inexpensive background investigations that are offered to them online and they're usually disappointed with the results. And then when they come to us, we're able to search in a much wider scope information that can lead to someone's mm. background information. Well, you know there's things online, don't you? I mean, uh, you pay for a fee. But you, you only find that out after you've sat there for 15 minutes when they've assessed everything. I don't think that's right, that a person's life should just be public to the world. You know, all from your tickets to your felonies to God knows what. I mean, when is privacy privacy? Well, you also have to think about people's right to know who they're dealing with. I mean, uh, mm. when you when when people are involved in the criminal justice system, this becomes a public record. This becomes a public record by intention so that it can be searched. And there are ways to address these records. If somebody's not happy with them, there, there are ways to challenge these records. Mm. But if they're true and accurate records, then they need to be out in the public. Well, David, let me ask you this. And how much information can someone find out about another person, you know, in, in a background investigation? You know, if... If someone was just curious about an individual and they came to us with some basic information, we'd be able to identify that individual, uh, their birth date, their vital numbers, uh, every place that they've lived, uh, any property that they own, any liens, any foreclosures, any uh, criminal involvement. We'd be able to see uh, uh, every place that they've lived every uh, car that they've driven. We'd be able to see their relatives, their associates. Uh, there are actually database searches that can tell where you frequent. Wow. Talk about an open book, huh? Why would the average person really need to purchase covert cameras or spy gear? You know, there are people who, even right now, are the victims of sexual harassment at work. And unless they have some documentation on this, their claims are unlikely to go forward. If they come and they purchase a covert recording device and they are able to catch something like this, mm -hmm. then they're able to make a claim that's going to stick and get the proper relief that they, that they deserve to have in a situation like that. And a lot of times people are in situations where their interaction with somebody else is the only documentation they could possibly have. We have people who have come in and purchased a a camera that would fit on a keychain because they have contentious child custody exchanges with their ex and mm -hmm. they just wanted to record that so that the next court hearing was not a he said, she said. There's a video. Well, it makes sense from that point of view and there's nothing stopping her doing that to him or Vicky Verga, right? Right. Okay. Hmm. You know, when I was uh, when I was a kid watching Dick Tracy and Perry Mason, uh, I thought it might be fun to be a private dick. I got to tell you, uh, how does one get into the private investigation field if they'd like to? In Arizona, to open an agency, to get an agency license, it requires at least three years of full-time experience as an investigator, and people usually get that experience either working for an agency. Mm -hmm. or working for a government agency, either a state, local, or federal investigation mm -hmm. agency. Three years of, of like, hands-on. Right. Okay. And what about, what about the theory? What about study? What's involved there? There's not a 
there's so many different pathways in and specialties within the field. There's not a state test that they take that assesses any particular specific knowledge. It's the experience that they that they verify. There's bonding. There's insurance. There's there's those requirements, right. fingerprints and a background investigation. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people will go to work for an agency as an employee in order to get those three years of experience. Well, that makes sense, and there's a good way to do it. Look, uh, it's been absolutely fascinating. I could talk with you all day on the stuff I tell you now, but if you're uh, interested uh, at all, listeners, it's uh, go to the site so you learn a lot there, Walden Group. It's www.waldengroupllc.com. That's the URL. That's the website, okay, of the organization. Uh, if you want to go to uh, LinkedIn, uh, linkedin.com slash in slash uh, doctor slash uh, well hyphen David hyphen Fruckman hyphen 309 and on it goes but you can get him on LinkedIn read all about him okay and he's a very approachable guy you're welcome to talk to him at any time give him a call if he can help you in any way shape or form it's been absolutely fascinating and then of course the other side of things if we've talked your cork in reference to any of those machines or spy cameras or imagine a camera on a car key. <laughs> well, I tell you what I would like it for. I'm at Safeway and somebody slams his door into my car <laughs> and I've got no proof. You know, I can't do anything and he just gives me the finger. Now I can shoot the registration number, show the actual thing on my car and maybe even show him doing it, whatever. So there we go. David Fruckman, director of the Walden Group, special guest today, my guest on this particular podcast of Tucson Means Business, proudly sponsored by the 49ers Golf and Country Club. And you know what, David? It's been absolutely thrilling having you, and I appreciate you coming on. Oh, thank you so much, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Join us again, won't you, for another Tucson Means Business. I'm your host, Mark Bishop, and it's been a pleasure having you. 